The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. If you have children, you have probably wondered at what age are they accountable for understanding the concepts of sin and salvation. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares his understanding of the answer as he continues his look at how children will be impacted by the rapture. For solid reassurance of God's love for kids, listen as David concludes his message, Will Children Be Raptured? You know, I was not in the ministry very long before I was confronted with this issue. I was a young uh, intern in a church in Haddon Heights, New Jersey, just fresh out of seminary. Uh, My pastor, who was uh, my leader, took a vacation and left me in charge. And he hadn't been gone but two days, and we had a very tragic infant death in our congregation, and I was there to take care of it. I must confess, I felt so inadequate. I had never had any experience in dealing with this. But God uh, was so good and and enabled me and helped me to understand what I've been teaching uh, yesterday and today. And I know that this is the Word of God. This is God helping us understand what happens. And when we study the Scripture and find these answers, they are so, so important. And that's why I've written about it in this book and why I'm teaching it today. Capture a thrilling glimpse of the rapture in The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready by Dr. David Jeremiah. In 31 short, easy-to-read chapters, Dr. Jeremiah answers questions about the next event on God's prophetic calendar, not with sensationalism, but with solid biblical truth. This is Motivational Prophecy, inspiring you to live boldly and expectantly in today's world. Request The Great Disappearance by Dr. Jeremiah, plus the Perhaps Today bookmark. When you give a gift of any amount in support of the ministry of Turning Point, be rapture ready. Request The Great Disappearance book from Turning Point today. Let us send this book to you. You can send us a gift and We really are serious when we say a gift of any size. Obviously, we'd like you to be as generous as you can be so you can help us as much as you can help us. But we are very serious about sending this gift to you, no matter what size your gift may be. Well, let's begin our discussion. So get your Bible and let's study God's Word. The character of God lays the foundation for the realization that children who cannot understand the gospel are enveloped within the grace and mercy of our Lord. On them, God has a tender heart. On them, his compassion reigns. So the character of God gives us some insight into what happens to children at the rapture. Then there's another thought, and that's the condition of salvation. And let me ask you this question. What must a person do to be lost? They must refuse the free offer of God's saving grace. One writer expresses it this way, Little children have no record of unbelief or evil works. Therefore, there is no basis for their deserving an eternity apart from God. They are graciously and sovereignly saved by God as part of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah the prophet speaks about such a period in the innocence of the life of a child. Notice this verse, Isaiah 7, 16. Before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good. In other words, there's a time before a child knows how to refuse evil and to choose good. And that special time is marked out in the scripture. In the Bible, infants, little children, and any others who cannot believe are neither told to believe nor expected to do so. They are not classified as wicked evildoers and rejecters of God's grace. It is always adults who are addressed that way, not children. And then, along with the character of God in the condition of salvation, is the compassion of the Lord Jesus. This is my favorite part of the whole story. When we read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, we discover that our Lord had an incredible love for children. And he demonstrated that love on many occasions. He talked about them every time he had an opportunity. Whenever they were near him, he had something to say about it. One example is so important that it is recorded by three of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here is Matthew's version of it. Then little children were brought to Jesus that he might put his hand on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. We also have a wonderful passage in Matthew's gospel that is as definitive as any verse in the Bible on the eternal love that Jesus has for children. This is Matthew eighteen fourteen, and this is what it says. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. There you have the strong, unambiguous statement of the Lord. He is not willing that one of these little ones should perish. If that is all that we had, I think we could build our hope on that alone. The Lord Jesus has compassion for little children and infants and is not willing that even one of them should perish. Perhaps this is a good place to answer this question concerning the unborn. What about babies that are never born because of miscarriages or abortions? Here we must be very clear. I believe, as do all who accept the authority of God's Word, that a child is a person from the moment of conception. Since that is true, all preborn babies who perish, whether through miscarriage, abortion, or tragic accidents, go straight to heaven. If you have had an abortion, I want to tell you that God knows how to pour His forgiveness and healing into your life through the merits of Jesus Christ. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin, even though some people seem to think so. God not only forgives you, but He goes way beyond that. Because of His mercy, that little one now lost will be waiting for you in heaven, and you will enjoy an eternity of loving fellowship with that precious child. Jesus loves you, and He loves every child from conception. In fact, He loves us from before time ever began. I cannot imagine that the same Savior who blessed little babies and said, of such is the kingdom of heaven, secretly intended to deny them heaven itself. Your little ones will be in heaven because they have not yet come to the place where they understand the gospel. So the character of God teaches that. The conditions of salvation teach that. The compassion of Jesus teaches that. But perhaps the greatest proof of what I'm telling you today is, is wrapped up in a story from the Old Testament 
about the child of David. I'm going to tell you the story, and I think you'll understand what I'm saying when we get to the end of it. There's an incident in the life of King David that is fundamental to the question we are answering. So if you have your Bibles and you want to find this and go along, you can look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. This section of Scripture records the events that happened in the life of David immediately after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. As you remember, Nathan was appointed by God to confront David concerning his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. Among other things, Nathan told David that the child that he and Bathsheba had brought into the world would be taken away in death. Let's pick up our reading of this passage in 2 Samuel 12:14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, this is Nathan talking, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. And Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted, and he went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not even listen to us. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore he said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshiped, and went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. And his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, and when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. The last sentence in that passage is arguably the greatest sentence in the Bible on the subject of what happens to a child when they die or should the rapture occur. It was this thought of a reunion with his dead child which cheered David. But where did he think this reunion would be? In the grave, in hell, in heaven, he believed that he himself would go to heaven after death, and consequently he meant to express the belief that his child had but gone on before him to that blessed place. The idea of meeting his child in the unconscious grave could not have rationally comforted him, and the thought of meeting him in hell could have not cheered his spirit. But the thought of meeting him in heaven had in itself the power of turning his weeping into joy. I cannot bring him back, he said, but I can go to where he is. David knew what I've been telling you throughout this message, that little ones die, and when they die or the rapture happens, before they understand the gospel, they go to heaven. So you say, well, you talk about the age of accountability. 
what is that age? I've had people actually ask me, is that eight or nine or is it seven? What is it, four? So what is that age? In our attempt to bring comfort to those who mourn, we must not deny the truth of God's word. No one really is truly innocent. Jesus' statements about children being innocent does not mean that they are without sin. It means that they were not responsible for their sin. The Bible teaches that all of us are sinners. You know that. Psalm 51, 5 says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 58, 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. There are no exceptions. All of us are born with a sin nature. Even though we have not yet done anything wrong, our nature is sinful. Every baby needs a savior just as every adult does. But at what age does a child become responsible for his relationship with God? Is there an age of accountability? Isaiah refers to such a time in the life of a child. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The important thing to remember here is that the Bible does not make any reference to an age of accountability. It's not there. But there is a time in the life of every child when they are able to understand God's love and when they comprehend what it means to be a sinner. For some children, that knowledge comes at a very early age. If you've grown up in a Christian home like I did, you are aware of that uh, very early. And I need to tell you that most children like me have had some pre-salvation experiences with salvation. I don't know how to explain it any other way. When I was a young child, my dad would preach and give an invitation. I went forward not because I knew I was lost. I just wanted to please my dad. <laughs> you know, and you give an invitation, I'm going to come forward. And I probably did. I was baptized twice. And not because it didn't work the first time. I just didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> you laugh at me because you know what I'm talking about. And many of you have been through that very same thing. But there comes a time when you really truly understand what the gospel is and what it means to be lost and what it means to be able to process in your mind what it means to be saved. For some children, that knowledge comes early. For others, it may take more time. The age of accountability is not a chronological measurement. It's a reckoning of spiritual understanding. Before you understand, the Bible protects you under the blood of Christ. So here's the other question that often comes in this setting, and that is, how old will children be in heaven? Hmm. There are differing views about that. Some people believe that when we're in heaven, we will all be mature in body, mind, and spirit. And the thought is this, if babies cannot fully enjoy this life, how could we expect them to fully enjoy eternal life with God? One proponent of this view argues that the book of Revelation describes worship in heaven as involving everyone. Therefore, whoever's in heaven will have to be of such an age to be able to participate in the eternal worship of God. Alistair McGrath supports this view. He says, as each person reaches their peak of perfection, here you go, which is the age of 30. Did you know that you're perfect when you're 30? <laughs> what does that say about you if you're twice 30? And some of you are almost three times 30. <laughs> Even if they have never lived to reach that age, the new Jerusalem will thus be populated by men and women as they would appear, says McGrath, at the age of 30, but with every blemish removed. Some have increased the age to 33 because that's when Jesus was crucified. Everybody's got an idea. 
But let me tell you what I think is really true as you study the Bible. I think children will be allowed to grow up in heaven. And the reason I think that is because, you know what happens right before heaven is the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And if you study that period, it's a period of time full of children. In fact, Isaiah 11 says, and a little child shall lead them. And the nursing child shall play on the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. So when children go to heaven, and I don't have all of the information and all the details and all of the ramifications of this, I'm just saying it seems to be that children will grow up in heaven. Now, if you want the authority on this, here it is. I love him and knew him well. J. Vernon McGee. If McGee says it, it's probably pretty good. So here's what he said. I believe with all my heart that God will raise the little ones such that the mother's arms who have ached for them will have the opportunity of holding them. And the father's hand, which never held the little hand, will be given the privilege. I believe that little ones will grow up in heaven in the care of their earthly parents if they are saved. On the basis of God's character, on the basis of salvation's condition, on the basis of Jesus' compassion, and because of the story of David's child, I can say with authority that little children, infants, unborns, when they die, go straight into the arms of Jesus in heaven. I never have told you this, but Don and I had a child that we lost through a miscarriage. I hear people trivialize that sometimes, and I always feel so bad for people who do that because that's not a trivial thing. It's a painful thing. We don't know that child, but we'll meet that child someday. When I was first introduced to the ministry, I had been in seminary for four years, and my first job was as a youth pastor and a Christian ed director at a church in Haddon Heights, New Jersey. I went to that church right out of seminary and only been there a short time when the senior pastor told me that he was going to take a vacation for a week and he was putting me in charge. That was not a very smart thing for him to do, but he did it. It obviously made me feel like he deeply trusted me and I was grateful for that. But I wasn't ready for what was about to happen. I was going about my tasks and I got a call from his secretary. I even remember her name was Irene. And she said, David, you need to get over to this house. And she gave me the address of a couple. There's a really bad situation there and they need you. So I went over there and I'd met this couple in church once, I think. And they had a little girl, a little baby. And this baby had died. It had a crib death. And here I was, fresh out of seminary. I had never seen anything like that or been anything like that happen in my life. And I walked into that situation and I didn't know what to do. But I remembered some of the things that I've told you today. And as much as I could, I told them the core things that we've talked about today, about God's character and the compassion of Jesus. And most of all, the story of David. Somehow we got through that. I have to tell you that I've been doing what I do for over 50 years. And looking back over my shoulder, that's the hardest funeral I ever had in my life. The first one was the hardest one. Someone has said that when a child dies, it's like a period in the middle of a sentence. It's a hard thing. 
Some of you here have experienced it, and my heart goes out to you. But the joy of being a Christian is wrapped up in this truth, that even though the pain is there, we know we shall be reunited with that child someday. God has promised us in his word that he is caring for the innocent one who dies or who will be alive when the rapture happens. When the rapture takes place, as you know, the Bible says that the Lord is going to come and all those who are in the grave will be resurrected and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That will be mixed crowd that goes up that day. They won't all be 30 years old, I promise you. All kinds of people coming together and then going to heaven together. There was a little girl whose little baby brother had died and she asked her mother, what happened? And she said, well, he went to be with Jesus. Thought about that. Later that day, in a conversation the mother had with some of her friends, she was talking about the sadness of having lost her child. And her other child pulled on her dress and said, Mommy, if he's with Jesus, you know where he is. He's not lost if you know where he is. Isn't that a wonderful truth to remember about anyone? If we know where they are, they're not lost. They're just waiting for the time when we will be reunited in the future. There's an addendum to this message that I hope you will listen to carefully. We've talked all about what happens to our children. Will they go to heaven if they aren't yet at the age of accountability? Two thoughts. First of all, if you don't know if they're at the age of accountability, get them saved as soon as you can. (laughs) We should do everything we can to get every child to accept Jesus Christ as early as they can understand the gospel. Amen? And that's what our goal is. But here's the question. What if we get them to heaven and you're not there? That's the question. You know, we worry about our children going to heaven, but what about you? You want to see your children someday in heaven? Then you have to be a Christian too. The only way you can go to heaven is to be born again. You can't get to heaven any other way. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So my question to you is this. Will you see your children again? Will you see your grandchildren again? You see, going to heaven is first of all about seeing Jesus, and that's obviously our preoccupation when we get there to see Jesus. But I have a feeling we're going to look around for others. And the the Bible teaches us that we will know one another, and we will be known by one another. If you want to see your family members that have gone on before you, whether they're your children or your parents, you must be saved. You must become a Christian. You say, well, Pastor, I don't like it when you talk like that. Well, you better get used to it because I'm going to talk about it a lot. Because I want to make sure... I want to make sure that I don't leave anything unsaid that needs to be said concerning your destiny. If you don't go to heaven, I don't want you to get to heaven and say, well, I went to that church where Jeremiah preached every week, but I never did understand what it meant to go to heaven. You can't do that. I'm going to make it as clear as I can. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you will miss out on heaven. You will not go to heaven. That's not me talking. That's the Bible talking. So here is the question. It's not about your feeling. It's not even about what you think. It's about your will. Do you know what the Bible says? Whosoever will. You need to will. You need to decide in your heart, I am going to become a Christian. Why don't you make that decision today? 
Why don't you remove the doubt about what's going to happen to you in the future and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Make the decision today. I hope you will do that. If there's anything else I could think of to say that would help you do it, I would say it. But I urge you and I invite you and I encourage you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Hmm. You know, uh, during these days when so many messages are going back and forth throughout the atmosphere, the one message that to me needs to be central to everything, and that is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to die on the cross for your sin and pay the penalty that you deserve for the wrongdoings you've done in your life. What are you going to do with him? Have you accepted him? Have you received him as your Savior? Have you received the forgiveness of your sins from the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus. You can do that right now, wherever you are, no matter what your situation. If you're driving in a car, find a place to pull off and uh, just bow your head before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life and forgive me of my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life that I might spend eternity with you in heaven. He will hear your prayer. He will answer your prayer and you will make your reservation for heaven right now, today, wherever you are. Be sure to be here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. We appreciate your notes of encouragement, so please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready. Informative and inspiring, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Great Disappearance, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. A Minnesota college took the unusual step of drafting a four-year-old disabled boy for their football team, part of a nationwide program that links medically challenged kids with a collegiate sports team. The program can't cure a child's disease, but it can definitely make a challenged kid feel special. 
We could describe such a program with a single word, kindness. Whether it's a nationwide program or an individual effort, a simple act of kindness can make another person's day. God has been kind to us, and His Word encourages us to be kind to others. Watch for an opportunity today to share God's kindness with someone in need. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life and discover God's kindness on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.